This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We know that interoception has such a vital influence on both our physical and emotional health. Our bodies are designed to send us important messages about how our body is feeling. What is the condition of our body? And that's all happening because of this sense called interoception. Interoception is how we are feeling sensations coming from our body, telling us important information about what our body needs for health and well-being. The same holds true on the emotional side of things. These interoceptive signals are giving us clues not only to the physical condition of our body, but the emotional condition of our body. How is our emotional well-being? Are we feeling comfort? Are we feeling discomfort? Are we able to understand these messages coming from our body so that we know what our body needs to promote as much comfort as possible? Writes Kelly Muller. Valeria Tellez interviews Anjana Kosla. She is a conscious relationship trauma psychotherapist and coach licensed marriage and family therapist, LMFT, in the state of California and Tennessee. Anjana has a deep passion for working with people from diverse backgrounds, and her work is rooted in the belief that every human being deserves to be seen and live in a way that brings about peace, self-love, and a positive self-image. Anjana recognizes that this can be difficult when immersed in rigid cultural systems, exposed to trauma, and dealing with intense emotional pain. Extrinsic influences about gender, ethnicity, nationality, physical and mental capabilities, sexuality, and much more can leave so many people questioning their own existence. In the face of this, daily living itself can feel like a challenge and leave a person feeling isolated and alone. Anjana's hope is to provide people with the support we all deserve to live as fully as possible. Anjana believes that knowing your worth is the backbone of living a healthy, authentic, and fulfilling life. She strives to support all clients and listeners in integrating all aspects of their identity in a way that is in alignment with their own personal values so that they can explore what brings them joy, define what success means to them, and create an all-encompassing definition for health. Meet Anjana at anjanakosla.com. Here's the interview with Anjana Kosla. In your own words, who is Anjana Kosla? Uh, Valeria, I love that you asked me this question for the second time. And I remember the first time you asked me, I was trying to find the right words to express. Today, I want to speak to how the expression of Anjana Kosla is a dynamic process 
that changes over time. And I say expression because that is separate from the essence of what is and the inherent self energy that's underneath, which I would say is nameless, expressionless, and yet it feeds into expression. So who is Anjana Kosla? Anjana is here right now, a vessel of information that's been put together um, in this form, sharing it with you today. (laughs) Yes, how wonderful. You said something interesting just now about the essence. So apart from the essence of who we are, there's this ongoing unfolding happening of who we think we are or the expressions of ourselves as humans. So I wonder if that essence that connects all of us, which is one, one essence, can that be felt I do believe it can be felt. I think it requires a willingness to listen and to really hear what's happening within and around us. And we can start to then interpret those cues, those signals, those sensations as indications of what's going on for ourselves and those around us. And and we can feel into this when we create space for ourselves to listen. And I say this hesitatingly because I don't want to necessarily create parameters around how we listen because that will be unique to every individual. I think Safety is a key piece, and we talked about this a little bit in our last podcast, but it's a knowing of what we need in order to get to a state of of listening, right? What do we need on every level, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, to come to a state of awareness? And I can speak to this through the scientific brain lens, but then there's also beyond that, this understanding of moving into that space, not from an intellectual standpoint, more from a felt place of, okay, now I know that my body is at ease, my mind is at ease, and I can really hear the messages of what is around me, who is around me, feel into the what is shared between myself and maybe another human being, another animal, another creature, life, whatever it might be. Fascinating the way you answered the question about feeling the essence of who we are. So it's actually in every expression. It's here now. It's everything, right? It's not separate from what's happening within the body and outside the body. Absolutely. Mm. And that allows for us to step out of this process or way of relating where we're chasing. It's not something to chase after, rather something to feel into. Um, When you say chasing, I think about practices. Do we sometimes chase that essence of who we are in a sense of um, adopting practices in perhaps rigid ones? I think we can, yeah. And I think 
I think the answer to that question has more to do with the last piece that you said there around rigidity, right? So yeah. it's it's the adherence to this rigidity, this feeling as though we have to stick to one thing in order to create a sense of security. Now that's rooted in feeling a lack of internal security. Right? So it's learning to balance how to authentically express what suits us in the moment. And this is also a relationally aware process. We don't do this necessarily in isolation or without consideration of those people around us. We do this in relationship with. So I do believe ritual and practice is a necessary piece of knowing ourselves. It's more so that a lot of times we're told what rituals we need to do and we're told how to engage in these practices as opposed to tuning into what does this actually feel like for me? Is this truly connecting me to myself? And this makes room for diversity and divergence and free expression. That's a beautiful way of kind of navigating this reality. I often ask that question, what, what's my relationship with this when it's something that is not pleasant, like pain or uncomfortable feelings, emotions? And then it's, um, for me, what comes is always being open. Yes. If you're open, then you'll be okay. <laughs> yes. Well, also, when you said you always ask that question when it's an unpleasant sensation, I urge people to ask that question when it's pleasant. In the exploration of pleasure and joy and peace, what leads you closer to a sense of what feels good? And that isn't coming from a place of avoiding pain, rather coming from a place of stepping into your own power through identifying what's my agency within this through how I relate to it. And with that in mind, I do have a question about, a basic question, feelings and emotions. How would you differentiate them? Oh, feelings and emotions. So emotions, when I think about emotions, I think about, when you say feelings, I think about sensations. I think about body awareness, somatic awareness, biofeedback interoception. So it's our capacity to really feel into, wow, this sensation of me sweating or this sensation of my stomach grumbling or contracting is an indication of perhaps a biological need or an emotion. So an emotion is a little bit more nuanced in that it can be a collection of information from within your body telling you that you're feeling either sad, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious. So it's a conglomerate of sensations that you might be feeling within a situation that you're then interpreting into what we would label as an emotion. So emotions are, in a way, would you say psychological, intellectual labels for the feelings? Yeah, and I think that the label is necessary in that it can be grounding, right? We talked a little bit about 
exploration and free expression, that's only possible when we have a safe enough container or structure to hold that free expression. And language labeling can sometimes provide that for us. So it helps narrow down the parameters around which we are exploring so that we're not necessarily feeling overwhelmed or unsafe, right? So it's, it's a balance of both. And a lot of times we can talk about this in terms of, um, we, we sometimes can discuss the polarity through feminine and masculine qualities or aspects of expression. And we all possess both, a combination, a nuance of all of it. What I really think, though, is we, like language in and of itself, the structure, the holding space enters into this realm of creating safety with what we would define as some of the more masculine qualities. And the more feminine would be the openness, receiving, exploration. So... I guess to indirectly answer your question, yes, the labeling would be a way of creating grounding for for the experience of it. And also, it's it's a way of translating so that we can communicate and bridge the gap. Before we began our conversation today, I had this feeling in my body that was hot, was warm, too warm. And then I asked you for a moment to turn the AC on, which my husband did. Mm. And then I was thinking about the same feeling in the body that I got before. I have not had this feeling in a long time. But when somebody said something that made me feel shy, almost Mm. in a sense of, oh, my God, he said that. It was like a secret that I told somebody and then Mm -hmm. he or she said that out loud. And then the body was just so warm and... (laughs) It's the same sensation, isn't it interesting? But they're different. They are different. And this is where interoception is really, really fascinating because on the one hand, there's a connection between our biological sensations and then our less tangible interpretation experience of it, whether that's an experience of shyness or shame or, and and that then translates into how do I choose to respond to this behaviorally? So we'll be exploring a bit more in depth the concept of interoception you just mentioned now. So feelings, emotions, and body awareness. But before that, let me ask you this question, this open question about the obstacles to healing. What comes to mind when you hear that question? Oh, that's a profound question. It's one that's really difficult to, to answer because I think there are many obstacles to healing and it depends on what angle you're looking from right so if you're looking through the lens of community or need for belonging and connection sometimes that can be an obstacle if you're looking to growing up in really rigid communities societies rigid structures where there isn't room to explore that can hinder or exile parts of who we are, right? And we end up feeling potentially incomplete. And as a result, we can end up feeling hurt. Then there's the reality of us experiencing traumas within the world, right? And 
sometimes we don't have a place to necessarily process and fully integrate those traumas. And so that can be a hindrance to healing. So it also depends on how you define healing. Yeah. So I I have a difficult time answering this question because sometimes the word healing implies that there's maybe something wrong with having been injured, right? And though it doesn't feel good to have experienced a trauma or a physical injury, relational injury, whatever it might be, this is an aspect of life. So, ooh, it's such a, it's such a nuanced question with so many so many factors that come into play. I will say part of the answer has to do, if I had to sum it up in a nutshell, I would say the biggest hindrance to healing is not knowing oneself. Would you say that this idea of knowing oneself has to do with body awareness and knowing Mm -hmm. how to interpret our feelings and emotions? Or would you go as far as saying things that I would say, knowing that we are divine beings and this is just Mm -hmm. an experience? I think they're bo- it's both. It's interconnected. Right. Yeah. What you're saying there is one in the same. Mm. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> I was yeah. about to ask you about spirituality, but you answered that <laughs> question too. <laughs> so that was a two-in-one. Thank you, Anjana, again. I absolutely love your expression in this reality. It's truly beautiful. Thank you. You know, in your question, it got me thinking about this dichotomy we create between spirituality and embodiment work. And rather, I think our journey in this human experience is about, I don't even want to use the word both. It's about experiencing what we've separated as one. The body is divine and what is divine is expressed within the body. And that takes the judgment out of being human, out of, out of, for lack of a better word, I don't like using the word messy because of the connotation, but it gives us permission to get dirty, to bleed, to go in the mud, to dance, to eat freely without this this judgment of we accept this and we don't accept this. How did you come to these realizations? Mm. I know age has nothing to do with this. You're very young. How did you come to these understandings about yourself in life, Anjana? Well, uh, a curious mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh. (laughs) I questioned... You know, and I think also a willingness to sit within my own practices that resonated with me. So there were certain realms that I would go to, whether that was being in nature, whether that was doing yoga, certain practices that elicited introspective thinking and also opened me up to dialogue. I think that's a huge piece, conversation with with others. But even beyond conversation, learning to safely be with others, to be vulnerable in 
in touch, to be vulnerable in movement, to um, also feel empowered in that vulnerability. So my exploration, it's been ongoing. It will continue to be ongoing. My curiosity around the impermanence of life, right, the role that death plays and what does it mean to die over and over again in terms of identity and be reborn. Um, my curiosity around development, human development, right? We're born into this world looking like babies, right? And then we, we develop into something that looks different as a human being. And then my curiosity around all life forms, right? Looking at I have a deep love for animals and just wondering what is your experience and how do you interpret the world? And um, we don't necessarily have the, um, the ease of language with, with animals or at least spoken language, right? So, and then also then thinking about cultures, cross-cultural communication and different languages, right? How do I communicate with people and vice versa who speak a completely different language than me, right? So curiosity, I guess, would be the answer. Um, wanting to just know, and that's different than understanding. My journey started with understanding in, in theoretically exploring. And then from there, it led to what does it mean to feel into this? What does it mean to know? When you say curiosity, I automatically think about openness, just being open mm -hmm. to life. And that's what comes to me. And then I love when you talk about relationships. That's something that stayed with me since our first conversation, that you often talk about that. It's really profound the way that message comes across from you. So, <laughs> and I have been asking that question since we talked last time. Wow. About what's my relationship with everything, right? What's my relationship with this? And it's interesting because you just pointed out earlier that I mentioned negative emotions or when mm -hmm. challenging situations, but then what's my relationship with pleasure, with something that's really beautiful, joyful? Mm -hmm. huh, that I didn't think about it. I, I was going to say, when we start to ask that question, that can open us up to a whole nother world of experience, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of just breathing in uh, whatever yeah. is happening, like this conversation now. And I love the question that you just asked. That's a profound question. What is to know? And, and I love that question, too, because the answer is going to be very different for every person. There's a subjective quality to, their, to that question. Um, and that goes a little bit into what we call phenomenology, where each person, each entity, each life force has its own experience and expression. And that exchange between these life forces is what makes the dance so dynamic, sometimes volatile, sometimes fiery, sometimes gloriously ecstatic, right? Sometimes in between. And that's okay. <laughs> right. I love yeah. that too. And that's okay. Right. Yeah. I wonder if love or the idea of love that could change, of course, for all of us. But then with that in mind, I guess I, when I think about love and the expression of love, I think about kindness. Yes. I wonder if that could be 
a powerful relationship to have with everything. Oh, I do think so. I do think so. I think that also has a lot to do with values. But when talking about values, the conversation moves back into the mind and becomes more intellectual. This is where I really do appreciate the concept of interoception, the ability to feel into what suits you in a moment versus not. So then it's more about compatibility and on a biological sense, maintaining homeostasis, right? So our ability to know oh, this sensation of thirst in my mouth is telling me that I need water, right? And that will bring me back to a biological state of homeostasis. When we move into the more nuanced world of emotion and affect, we can ask ourselves similar questions of when I engage in this conversation, how is it feeling for me right now in this moment? And am I feeling a sense of contraction in my muscles that feels unpleasant? So that might tell me to then choose to exit out of the conversation. Or am I am I feeling a sense of like, oh, this feels good. I'm actually really enjoying this. I feel like my muscles are relaxing. I'm sitting comfortably in my chair, right? That capacity to, to be aware of that then lets us move into situations that feel better. This is interoception in action. The question that I have is what gets in the way when it comes to these understandings? Like like this interpretation of sensation mm -hmm. and then doing something about it to bring the body back into health, into balance. So yeah. I have read, because you sent me some an article to read. Actually, it was mm -hmm. a website, Kelly mm -hmm. Mahler, her name is. Yep. The book is titled How Do You Feel by A.D. Gregg. So that's an amazing, I know he's a neuroscientist. Yes. So talk to me for a moment about that, Anjana, the obstacles to interoception. So, you know, some of the obstacles we find, you know, with certain conditions and me working in the mental health field, I often work with people diagnosed with mood disorders like anxiety, depression, uh, survivors of trauma. So I do work for Nashville Center for Trauma and Psychotherapy, and trauma comes in many forms. And as a result, what can happen is there's a disconnect from ourselves when we have these experiences that essentially for survival's sake, we have to deny really being attuned to ourselves. Now, we also talk about interoception with uh, neurodivergence. And neurodivergence is, you know, what does that even mean? It's across the board. Typically, we talk about neurodivergence in the context of autism, um, but there's divergence beyond that. In the case of autistic individuals, we talk about barriers to interoception. And in some of my reading, what I've what I've found is that when there's certain sensory challenges or in the case of autism, we have found that um, singular focus 
can sometimes limit our ability to kind of tune back into ourselves. So having a really, really, really strong focus, we would call that monotropism, um, is really prevalent within uh, people who are autistic individuals. And so what I think is a barrier, if you're looking at it through the lens of community, it ties back to what I was saying earlier, that we we restrict individuals in how they pay attention to their bodies by creating really rigid expectations. In particular, with autistic individuals, we'll, we'll say you have to accommodate to being in this classroom, right? And there's so much sensory stimulation. And rather than taking into account that this individual is interpreting that information on in a very different way, in a divergent way, in a more sensitive way, possibly, right? We're asking them to conform to what is outside of them. And, and we not only do this with, with autistic individuals, this happens in the case of trauma, Right. This happens in the case of having um, very authoritarian parents or living in a very authoritarian uh, household or culture where we are taught to self-deny. And so as a result, we then move into a space of deny, 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 deny. I'm not going to pay attention to myself. I'm going to conform in order to belong, fit in, survive, eventually we'll kick into survival mode. At this point, interoception is not even possible because interoception happens in a completely different part of the brain. Once we enter into panic mode or the more reptilian brain, all that matters is survival. And that's when we'll start to see uh, dysregulation, right? We'll start to see panic. We'll start to see these extreme expressions, interoception has to happen before where where the person is aware their thinking brain is actually still engaged and there's a sense of, oh, I'm going in this direction. That's not always possible in all settings. So, so if we're in a war zone, right, the ability to really sit and say, this is what's going on inside of me. We have to deny that in order to survive the harsh circumstances. So I would say that is a huge barrier. And so that's where I want to speak to and honor the parts of us that urge us to survive. We, we survive through and beyond those harsh circumstances. Once we're able to move into a safer environment and define for ourselves what safety means because that's going to be different for for different people. For some people, say for myself, for example, safety means being in a very quiet environment, knowing that there aren't interruptions, knowing that I will have time that is respected. The boundary of space and time is respected with, with comforts around me, the temperature, the, the softness of the the textures that are around me, the quietness, the lighting, all of those factors play a role, right? And and that's going to differ from person to person. And this is where being trauma-informed on this journey is essential, allowing for a person to decide for themselves what makes them feel safe and 
that also means respecting neurodivergence and including people who are neurodivergent in the conversation, right? Eliminating these false notions of what it means to be fully human, right? And and this is where we can go back into that territory of over-intellectualizing because then we can start talking about these hierarchical structures around class and race and ableism and gender. Um, But at the heart of it is recognizing, going back to what you said earlier, that every being is divine in its expression. I have heard, I mean, this is something that have been said many times here on a podcast, that healing and relaxation, they are almost one and the same. When you said safety, it came to me. Relaxation, feeling relaxed. Absolutely right. So that is another form of interoception, feeling into when the, the body is feeling a sense of ease. What does that even translate to in sensations? Perhaps it means more relaxed breathing. Perhaps it means the temperature is just right for your body. Perhaps it means a sense of your your boundaries are being respected. You're not overstimulated or understimulated for that matter, right? So um, this is why I find interoception so fascinating because it bridges that gap between <laughs> embodiment work and spirituality and mental health, right? And it... it um, does so in a way that's applicable to modern day, right, as we are living in it. And what's interesting enough is it segues us back into some of the more traditional ways of being and practices pre pre-colonialism. So going back to some of the more indigenous practices, Eastern practices rooted in ritual and tradition and um, connection to Mm. self. Connection. That's a a word that came to me when Mm -hmm. you're describing the feeling of safety Mm -hmm. that's different from everyone. That came to me as well, like feeling connected. That makes me feel, of course, connected with my environment, but also other human beings. And a sense of being seen, being understood, like, oh, you get me. That's such a wonderful feeling to have. Oh, it is. It is. And what's so beautiful about this is that feeling captures the essence of what is, allowing for the expression to be different. And this connects back to your earlier question around our relationship to everything, right? Our relationship to our plants, our relationship to even our stuff, our clothing, right? It's a different expression that we don't necessarily know everything about, yet we can relate to it with respect, love, compassion, because that's that feels better for ourselves. <laughs> it does, right? It's almost yeah. like a, the idea of choosing, right? Um, choosing more of these moments or these experiences. Although that's something that's another conversation about choice. It is. It seems like it's to be, just to tap into it for, uh, as a, just a glimpse. To me, it, when I think about choice, I think about being open enough to life, to the experiences, 
to the point of relaxing enough so I can see the options. 100%. Yes. And this is where, you know, in, in therapeutic terms, we talk about developing an internal locus of control. And what that really has to do with is being able to master these self-regulatory skills with an awareness of your environment, right? Although if you notice, there are sometimes situations that we're in where we're just feeling completely like, get me out of the situation, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, in listening to that and developing a relationship to ourselves, we don't always have a choice to get out of a situation. So we then can explore, this is where there's a huge paradigm shift, where we do enter into what we would start to call spirituality, because then we start to deconstruct what is around us and say, you know what, I don't want to buy into this. I can see myself as being here, but I am not going to necessarily adhere to these constructs. And and this is where the lotus becomes such a symbol of that, the lotus flower within some Eastern traditions where the lotus exists in this world, right? And at the same time is not of it. It's growing from swamp water, right? And uses the swamp water for its own growth and development to create something outside of it on the surface. And um, yeah, it's very nuanced, yet very, very powerful. Do you use these concepts within your therapeutic work, Anjana? Do you integrate them somehow? I do. I do. I do. And this is a question you sort of asked me in different language the last time. And it's it's really cool that you asked me this question because the essence of what I'm saying maintains, but the language again can change depending on who I'm working with, right? So... With a more scientific mind, I'll speak in the language of uh, brain chemistry, interoception, neuroplasticity. And, you know, there's limitations to that because that's, um, again, intellectualizing. But as we move deeper into what it means to exist and simply be, then I start going into let's, some of the work is not even talking. Right, so it might be art, music, movement, uh, simply being together. Another question I have for you is: What are some of the suggestions, your suggestions, and tools, exercise that can help us improve our interoceptive awareness? I apologize for the noises around me today. Okay. My dog, and then the, the cars. <laughs> I love it because this is life. Is it? Yes. Right. (laughs) And there's truly nothing wrong with it. It's all being incorporated here. So I love that. Yeah. I Uh, love that you said that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, some of the tools that I like to use, firstly, I consider what safety means for the person. Within my therapeutic setting, there's certain 
givens with that. We have a quiet space with no interruptions. We have a container that is visited at a certain time for a certain time period. I make sure that it is comfortable. Basic biological needs can be addressed if a person is thirsty. Okay, I'll get you water. If you need to use the restroom, use the restroom. So there's considerations for that container of making sure that the person feels safe. As we get into the more nuanced versions of safety for each person and we explore that, then I start to bring that into the mix, right? For some people, it might be, you love the texture of the certain blanket, bring it. You know, for other people, there might be cultural references. So we then incorporate that. For other people, it might be proximity or distance, right? So we incorporate that. So that's step one, knowing that and exploring that for yourself. Step two, once you've created this container, you now have a place, a sanctuary to go to that can allow for you to listen and feel into what's happening in the moment, right? And then you can move into practices. This is where a lot of people are doing this simply through participation in yoga or dance or athletics or movements, minus the politics of some of these communities, right? The very act in and of itself of mind-body awareness is interoception. So in, in my office, what we can do depending on a person's level of um, safety in moving into their body. That's that's a first thing. But we can just real simple, let's curl our toes together. What does that feel like when you curl your toes together? Let's pay attention to your hand. What is the temperature in your hand? What does it feel like when you contract your hand? When you open your hand, what does that feel like? So this mind-body awareness um, in, in a tangible way can be done that way. For someone who's not necessarily feeling safe to move into their body just yet, we can use visual aids and cues and uh, Mahler actually has a reference to a lot of these aids and cues that she's created on her website, right? So uh, visually, you know, paying attention to, I talked about hands and feet, right? We can engage in uh, the, engage in taste, right? Tapping to and I do this sometimes with clients. Let's take a sip of warm tea. Let's eat a mint. Let's blow up a balloon. Really establishing safe connection with the body, right? And then that can go into more nuanced experiences. I'll use myself as an example where I miscarried and the experience of miscarriage brought up a lot of feelings within me, physical sensations of emptiness, along with feelings of great sadness and loss. And with the support of um, my own mentor, you know, we were able to feel into what is what is my womb telling me? Right, really tapping into placing my 
hand on my heart and my and my womb and entering into this space of what is what is my womb need not only in terms of sensations then going even deeper into what is the wisdom that my wound holds and then this goes into what we could call spirituality of feeling into the agelessness and timelessness of what our bodies know and trusting it so that can feel very scary if a person doesn't have a a safe container to begin with because it can feel so vast right so to answer that question it's it's a practice that we deepen into over and over again yeah it might be a practice for life right Angela it's not something that ends no I believe this is a part of life and it's what can improve our quality of life our our relationship to ourselves and everything around us right so this this is what contributes to our resilience our ability to make decisions in real time and to be fully present and with that in mind what i'm tempted to ask is one of the opening questions that i probably asked you in mm-hmm. our first interview which is what do you feel is the human experience all about what is the purpose of this experience that'll <laughs> <laughs> be the well, I, in the you know, end <laughs> I, I believe the purpose is expression we choose to express as we will we can express express consciously or we can express on autopilot right sometimes we suppress parts of ourselves and then it comes out sideways right so when i think about expression ultimately isn't that what life is i think about the birth process and the unfolding from conception through all the developmental stages i watch a seed grow and become this full plant and then it decays and it returns back to the soil right i think about all of this and then the interplay and dance between all these forms that are expressing itself and how that influences the process of expression right so that's how i will answer that question today <laughs> i love that answer too because it's really makes us see the big picture of life. I would say unconditional love. That's what the lens, yeah. yeah. The way you you just answer that question, it just kind of uh, makes me think that way, feel that way. So life being an expression of all there is, conscious or unconsciously, it doesn't really matter in a way. Yes. It's here, yes. it's aware, right? It's aware. I think the last time you asked this question, I had spoken through the lens of purpose and really finding purpose. And, you know, that's definitely still in alignment with what I said today, but I think I've expanded on that to include unconscious expression or expression. Purpose is more rooted in being intentional and being conscious. And what I'd like to do today is incorporate all expression whether it is conscious or not it's all to some extent intentional right plants plants move towards the light right and we long to survive there we have these survival instincts and so 
we can become more and more intentional through these practices, but the life force in and of itself is intentional as it is, and and we can learn to trust in that. Ah, yes, a trillion times to that. I was about to say the word trust, and then you said it. I'm like, okay, so I was about to say it, and then I said, okay, now that's it. You said it, yeah. Yeah. Trusting the system, life itself, right? Life force that it does, what it does. And ah, I know we try to kind of understand and make it better, (laughs) and why not? But in the end, it really feels like it's just this amazing happening of expression, as you said. It's diversity. It's just everything, the unconscious, the, the conscious, all dancing together in this beautiful stage called life. How amazing this is. It's so amazing. And understanding it has its its role, its place, it comes back to creating that structure, right? In order to have a container in which we can safely explore. So understanding has value. It's not the end all though, I don't believe. It's it's a part of the picture. In a way, if we, we can say it that way, it seems like it gives Uh, That sense of trust that you spoke earlier, the more understanding Mm -hmm. we have, as far Mm -hmm. as we can get with that, then a sense of trust just kind of flows within the stream of life. And then it's so much easier. (laughs) Well, lady, I love how you worded that because that comes back to that dance between the polarity of the what we would call the masculine and feminine energies. Right. Yeah. It's beautiful when we become aware of that. That kind of amazes me, fascinates me how some human beings such as yourself are able to explain and talk about (laughs) these things so clearly. (laughs) It's beautiful to me. So thank thank you you. so much, Anjana, again for your presence here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, I have a question for you. I have a technical question and then an ending question. But before that, would you like to add anything else that we didn't explore or didn't discuss? Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else that we didn't explore? I could just talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Uh, You know, I think this is a lovely place to essentially close the container and end in appreciation and gratitude. And the conversation obviously doesn't end here. It just pauses. If there's one message you wish everyone who is listening to take with them and live by, per se, what would that be? One message today. I'm, I'm sitting with what's coming through to me through me right now, the one message would be it coming back to this idea of trust, right? And to simply move into trusting oneself by removing judgment or shame, trusting that the body knows, the spirit knows, Right. And though we may encounter experiences in life that don't feel pleasant or may hurt, 
we still exist and we still move through it and persevere. And that is inherently because the life force continues to move through us. And so if we can move into that without um, any judgment, right? When I think about judgment, I think about feelings again. So yeah. it's almost like the mind discerns automatically. We can't stop that process from happening. Right. But judging, to me, feels almost like it's energetic. There's something, yeah, it comes with a feeling, sometimes a heavy feeling, <laughs> negative feeling about something or someone. And that's how I know when I'm judging and when I'm, I'm just becoming aware of something. Correct. And I think this is where, again, coming back to interoception, judgment is more rooted in what we are told is acceptable versus not. Discernment is knowing and feeling into what works for me versus what doesn't work for me. That's becoming aware of that more and more. Yeah, through experiences. Yes, yeah. Thank you for saying in the way you say, because you come (laughs) from a clinical, very uh, scientific point of view. And it's beautiful (laughs) to see scientists with a scientific Mm. mind explain these concepts in a way that's it's so tangible, digestible. It's um tastes good. It's oh, sweet. Like it tastes that. really good. <laughs> uh, so thank you. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so thank you so much for everything that you represent, this beautiful presence uh, that you bring into our reality, the shared reality, and everything else in between that can be felt. Thank you so thank much for being you, you again. Thank you, Valeria. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your services, work, and future projects? Absolutely. So I do have a website now, anjanakosla.com. So very easy to find me, my full name. And I offer support through there. And then you can also find me if you're in the Nashville, Tennessee, California area looking for therapeutic support services. You can find me on Psychology Today or where I work. I have a physical office at Nashville Center for Trauma and Psychotherapy. Wonderful. And I'll have that link on your podcast profile too. Awesome. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon, Anjana. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Anjana Kosla and her work, please visit anjanakosla.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.